Hello and welcome to the Silmarillion Film Project. Yes, I'm here, believe it or not. I mean, I know I've been on the last few episodes, but I haven't done the opening. Right. This is Dave doing an opening for the first time in so long, you can't remember how to do it. Yeah, yeah. It was like, well, oh yeah, right, yeah. So yeah, I'm here, and we're here, and we're doing the Silmarillion Film Project. That's it. Uh, and we are talking about uh, we're we're I think we're we're breaking stories like specific stories. I think we we're, we've descended. We were at like the last like few sessions. We've been like at like ten thousand feet. I believe didn't we like like a month ago? Didn't we like plan out like the next ten years of yeah, podcasts? We did. Mm-hmm. We yeah. did. So now we're going to talk about this season. Exactly. We're just going to drop into a gentle like <laughs> five thousand feet. That's right. Because we're still going to be looking at. Yeah. One of the broadest stories of the whole yep. thing that is That's our right. primary character, Hurin, um, and making sure that we're thinking through the story that we want to give him and how um, how that's all going to kind of work in here. So, yes, we're we're cruising altitude now. That's it. That's it. Definitely. And then we'll 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 come in for specific episodes and we'll get towards episode outlines before too long. But um, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna sort out some stories, and then we'll and then we'll throw Nick and Marie out with parachutes. That's it. That's it. It's gonna be awesome. That's right. Uh, <laughs> see what they find on the ground there as uh, we begin actually planning episodes. Yeah, excellent. All right. Um, so before we get started, a couple quick announcements. We are in the middle of our fall fundraising campaign for Signum University. So this is the time of year when we both celebrate the people who have been so generous uh, in supporting Signum over the years. And also remind people that now's a great time to donate to Signum University. Um, as we uh, get towards, uh, we move into Giving Tuesday here and then towards the end of the tax year. Great time to remember to give to Signum University uh, a fully tax-deductible donation. Um, anyway, just, uh, but very, very, um, very, very delightful, all of the support that we've received over the years and so grateful for, um, for everything that people do. We could never do what we do without uh, the support of our community. And I've told this story a couple of times, but it was really kind of fun the way that our, uh, our accrediting reviewers during our recent accreditation review were frankly puzzled by the kind of community that we have. They'd never experienced this sort of thing with an online university. And even the accountant who was reviewing our uh, our business stuff at Signum um, couldn't really understand where our money came from. He was like, you know, because they asked us to list our major donors, and I did. And he's like, where does the rest of the money come from then? And I'm like, from everybody else giving what they can. Like it's the the idea. Like no, we, yes, we actually are a crowdfunded university. Like that was not. Uh, you know, raising money, doing fundraising, you know, um, that's normal for universities, but a genuinely crowdfunded university um, from a dedicated online community like this was something quite beyond their experience. And that was a lot of fun. So um, anyway, uh, that's um, uh, 
so so uh, again, many thanks for everyone who donates there. And if you want to make a donation, you can go to uh, signumuniversity.org/donate uh, to make your donation. We also have a bunch of regional moots coming up. Our final moot of the fall season, Bayou Moot down in New Orleans, Louisiana, is happening on December second, um, and then we will be after that in January. Down in Sydney, Australia, for Ozmoot 2, our second annual Ozmoot, uh, which I'm very excited about. And in addition, um, actually, so the the only spring one that we've, for a while, the only spring one we've had was Sunshine Moot, um, scheduled for February. But we have had a uh, very recent, just this past week, uh, we have opened a bunch more, including Tex Moot on April 6th. And the uh, UK moot, we're going to be in York in the United Kingdom um, on April 27th uh, in, in next year. And then SoCal moot in, on May 4th uh, uh, in Carlsbad, California. Somebody's pointing out that I scheduled myself in uh, York, England one weekend and uh, Carlsbad, California the next weekend. But that's all right. It's all fun. I love being on airplanes. So there we go. Um, and uh, and we even we even have a, 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 a new one scheduled for the fall, whose registration is open next November, November ninth. Uh, Carolina moot back to North Carolina. Um, uh, this will be in High Point, North Carolina. So down in uh, down in your direction a bit there, uh, uh, Maria Nick. Though actually, we're um, there's still several others that uh, may be happening within the next six months or so. Um, and w- another one, which will be in your direction, Potomac Moot. Uh, so uh, we'll be down in the D.C. area for regional moot. Um, and we're also looking at another one up in Canada uh, this year, in Alberta, this time at the University of Alberta. Um, Wild Rose Moot. Uh, so uh, that'll, that'll, be, uh, that'll, be, that'll be very cool. Um, I can't wait to get up to Alberta. I'm very excited. Um, anyway, so lots of fun moot action happening. Um, uh, all right. Now, let's get back into our discussion. Um, again, today we're wanting to look at the big picture of the story of Horin, right? Um, so uh, we start with... a list of things so let's let's just review this uh so marie this is your first um hurin slide here kind of reviewing things to keep in mind right parameters things that we know happen in his story yeah what they mean for it is not on the slide right right like just here's the thing that happened here's the thing he gets married he has kids like he goes to gondolin so we have to build a story out of something Okay, so let's just review this stuff. So we've got uh, born the oldest child of Galdor, Lord of Dor- Lord of Dorloman, and his wife Harith. Um, so of course, his wife Harith. This is that I mean they were part of the double marriage, right? With uh, uh, which we did, right? We we, we mm-hmm. had the double marriage back in season four, five, five, five. Four was pre-human, so that wouldn't have yes. been awkward. Okay. Five, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so. Um, Right, so so Hurin is the is the the product, right? One of the products, of course, um, of that of that connection. Um, raised as a youth in the forest of Brethel with his younger brother Huor and their double first cousin Hondir. Um, uh, so yes, the whole fostering thing um, is. Pres- I mean, that's we're not going to get that explicit. That is to say, like it's not like we're going to be getting the decision to 
put them out to, um, but we're going to be joining them. Uh, uh, we're 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 going to be joining them in Bethel, but more importantly, this is a thing we have to keep in mind, right? That Hurin has not really grown up in Dorlomen, and that's something to remember as we're thinking about him and his presentation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and trying to figure out who he is, this is just to kind of establish his yeah. origin, yeah, you know, his background. Absolutely. Upbringing. Now, the first major event, of course, is um, the. Uh, rescue slash kidnap by eagles and uh, being taken to Gondolin. Um, this is, of course, one of those... One of those... And Tolkien does this all over the place, right? Embeds these, like, classic sort of fairy tale tropes in the middle of his first age stories. Um, you know, the mortal, you know, crosses the border of fairy and finds himself in a strange place um, in lots of different ways, right? In this case, it's abducted by eagles and taken into fairy. Um, in other places, we've seen echoes of that same... Like, of course, we saw it with Baron and Luthien, right? Baron crossing sure. into elf land and um, uh, seeing the, you know, the young uh, the young elf princess dancing. Um, so anyway, there's there, there's lots of this kind of thing, and this is another classic example of this. Um, if being a you know a human teenager who is you know about to be killed and then you know essentially like blacks out and then wakes up in Gondolin, right? Like just ma- tra- essentially magically transported to Gondolin. Um, that's about as pure a I suddenly find myself in fairy uh, kind of story as you can get. Especially since, you know, then the fairy king tells him, and you will never leave and return to the mortal lands, right? Um, And then he has to, like, bargain for permission to return to the mortal lands. And anyway, so that's, Eddie, I I think, an interesting little element to that story. Um, Then... But and of course they remain in Gondolin for years, right? This is not just a, a short visit, it right? So up. in in Tolkien's story, it's about a one year sojourn there. Um, in our story, it's probably going to be closer to three years, mm-hmm. but it depends when we decide they were taken. Right. Um, it fits in the story anywhere after Sauron takes over um, Tolsirian, right? right? Right. And before Baron and Luthien go to Angband. Right. So right. that window is where the skirmish needs to be happening north of mm-hmm. Brethel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I assume we're going to choose based on the age that we want Heron and Hor to be at right. the beginning of the story. Right. So uh, there's, there's a, there's a window there. We can make them a little on the younger end or a little on the older end. Heron's going to be somewhere in the 18 to 21 range at yep. the skirmish. Right. Right. Okay. Um, then, of course, we know that after he emerges, uh, his father is not yet dead. Like, he, he talks mm-hmm. to his father. Um, he's sent back to Dor Loman um, from Gondolin. Right? He returns to, to not to Brethel, but to Dor Loman. Um, sees his father again. Doesn't tell his father where he's been because he's sworn an oath not to tell anybody where he's been. Um, but it's also not super hard to guess. And then um, his father dies 
relatively soon, so Hurin, Hurin becomes Lord of Dorloman while still young, basically. Um, we get the marriage of Hurin and Morwen, right? So we need the um, to be thinking about um, not only the development of Morwen's character, but that relationship, how that relationship is going to emerge. She is in Dorloman the whole time, so um, right. While he's in Brethel, she's in Dorloman already. No, or is, she, no is she down in Brethel um, still? She, she was in Brethel after. I know she was in. I know she was in. But weren't they leaving? Weren't they going up yes, north at the end of last season? Right after the wedding of Baron and Luthien. Ah. So while he's in Gondolin, while he's in Gondolin, so they moved he to Dorloman. Would have known her while he was in Brethel. Right. So they were she shows all young people in Brethel together. Okay. Uh, her and who are. Morin, Rian, and the cousin, uh, right. Handir, Handir, were all young people living in Brethel. Right. Then this abduction happens. Right. And we don't see that in season six, but it would have happened during the time period of season six. And then after that is when the people of Bayor decide to move to Dorlaman. Right. Okay. All right. So yeah, so he would be surprised. Like, what are these people doing here? Right. Why are they in Dorlum? And that would be new to him. Right. When right. he gets there. Okay. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So then, and of course, after they're married, we have the birth of Turin and Lalith, um, the older daughter, who of course is going to tragically die of the plague uh, when the plague comes, which means footnote. We, oh, that's number nine, the death of life in the plague. Um, so the plague is another thing. Um, we either have to have the plague be a plot point, uh, you know, significant plot point of uh, of the season, or we've got to find another way to kill Lalith, right, um, if we don't want to do the plague. But that's going to be a, a choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, then, of course, his role in the Union of Mithros... Um, uh, especially his support of Fingen and the, I always find it striking the kind of leadership role that Hurin plays, especially in the near knife itself. Um, I know it's, um, Hador is called peer of elven lords, but Hurin is the one who actually acts like a peer of elven lords, uh, in the Silmarillion. And so that's, um, not just thinking about how is Hurin going to be positioned in relationship to the whole Union of Mithros plan, um, but also kind of more deeply behind that and thinking back to the death of Galdor and Hurin becoming Lord of Dorloman, what we do with the relationship between Hurin and Fingen, I think, is, is important, um, especially with the way that Fingen is kind of the uh, central figure, right? That is, you've got Mithros on the one hand, and you've got Hurin, our main character, on the other hand, and Fingen is the link between the two of them, right? Right. I mean, the whole reason the union of Mithros is happening is because Fingen is right. High King of the Noldor. Right. So, right. obviously, is the Fingen time is the important To work with here. Mithros, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, and then of course the near Nithernoidiad himself and his famous "Day Shall Come Again" moment in the Fens of Serech and his ultimate 
capture by Morgoth, though the actual imprisonment and confrontation with Morgoth, we'd already decided that's going to be a beginning of season eight thing rather than an end of season seven thing. But probably having him overcome and dragged off is what a a thing that we will do uh, in this season. We'll show that he survives. Right. 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 Um, Yeah. But captive. Right. Um, Which will obviously completely transition his story into a a different type of story. Um, The story of a a prisoner who's being defiant, but has no hope of escape, you know, like that. That's a very different story than what we're going to tell in, in this Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So obviously I I see many people asking lots of very interesting questions and we're going to come back to these things, right? This is not, um, this is just a survey. This is just to remind us of all of the elements that we know from the story that we must either, uh, you know, uh, integrate uh, and find ways to incorporate this into the story that we want to tell or make the deliberate choice to um, uh, exclude or alter uh, some of these in order to make them work better. Okay. All right. So now we're equipped. Let's think about a few separate things here first. Um, actually, can we start with Gondolin? I kind of want to start with Gondolin. Yeah, sure. Let's start with Gondolin. I, I didn't give you a Gondolin slide. Okay, that's all right. You can, talk. Um, <laughs> you can talk about it. Let's talk about Gondolin. Um, so, question number one. Um, we're not, we're, it's, we're, this might seem a strange question, but we are going to make it just Hurin and Huor who are taken, right? We don't want to involve Handir. I ask this because, of course, it was originally Hurin and Handir who were taken to Gondolin in the earlier drafts of this stuff. Um, and he changed it to Huor mostly because he was sort of developing Huor's character, uh, Tolkien was, at the time. Um, and then Handir kind of got brushed aside. I And the other reason I ask this is that... Um, we're not going to get so very many opportunities to develop the Brethil folks, right? I mean, until we right. get to Brondir with, with Turin, essentially. Right. So it the... might be interesting to get a little more time with Handir. And mm. it's the only way I can think of getting more time with Handir because we're not going to spend time in Brethil. We're going to be, we're going to like, it's going to be the frame of the you know, the first few scenes of, of episode one and then mm. whisk off to Gondolin and never shall we return to Brethel until Turin well, does, really. Not never, because yeah. Brethel will take part in the Near Night. So right. they're part of the Union of Mithras. Someone's got to go talk to them and recruit them and they've got to make decisions about who okay. to send and where to send um, them. Unless we don't have to because the person that is doing the recruiting is somebody that's been with... Hurin and who are well, that's one of the things that I'm wondering. Yeah, goes and then goes off to bring his people back with him. It might sure. be a, it might we, be a way yeah. to kind of because if imagining we do have the three of them taken instead of the two of them. I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. we ditch who are obviously. Um, oh no! Yeah. So if we take the three of them to Gondolin instead of just the two of them, um, that enables us to get to know Hondir and get Hondir on board. So that it would be much more efficient then to recruit Hondir and the the Brethel folks. Presumably, Hondir would go back to Brethel after the Gondolin experience, should 
he be so fortunate as to be invited by us into the Gondolin experience. But then he would go back to Brethil, and and but Hurin and Huorin, he would already have that, right? So right, um, yeah. Because I mean, I was originally thinking we could just put him in the skirmish, right? And then they get separated, sure. and the two go to Gondolin. Yeah. 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 Um, but you're right. This would give them more screen time together. I think if we move in that direction, then we have to think about what we're doing with him. Yeah. Because it's very clear that Hurin and Hur going to Gondolin is majorly significant for not just them, but for like Gondolin and the right. future of Middle Earth and right. a lot of like Almo is involved and all that stuff. So then. We see what Hurin and Hur are going to do. What's Hondir going to do? Well, see, Like, if he's part of this, he needs to have a fate. <laughs> yeah, well, in part, one of the reasons, one of the things that kind of, in that gently inclines, I'm not passionately inclined uh, towards this idea, but and gently inclined towards this idea, in part because I, I was, um, I was, Intrigued and to some extent almost moved by rereading recently in the War of the Jewels, the Wanderings of Hurin stuff, right? Which is later, and we'll get to that stuff. But the one of the take homes, right, that I kind of took from this was seeing the time and the world building effort and things that Tolkien was lavishing upon the people of Brethil, right, in that stage of the story. Which felt to me almost like a makeup situation from Tolkien's perspective, in the sense that Haleth is awesome, right? I mean, if your civilization boasts Haleth, you've got a claim to fame that nobody's going to argue with, right? But post Haleth, the people of Brethel kind of get the shaft. Like, they're they're kind of the invisible partner in the whole three households of the Adain. They're always there, and they get referred to a couple times, and they come into the story of, uh, of, of Turin, but it seems to me almost symbolic that the only, like, named, plays a significant role, is lame, is lame Brondir, right? Um, and, like, poor, unfortunate crippled Brondir um, being the like poster child of the latter days of Brethil seems like unfortunately apt, right? Because like, you know, the people of Bayor get, get, you know, barren. And of course the, the, you know, the people of, of, of Hador and in the house of Hador and Dorloman get Hurin and Hur and through them Arendel and, and, and Turin. So there's plenty of representation there. Um, and even Turin, of course, being also the son of Morwen and favoring his mother is totally repping both of those two houses, right? Um, but um, uh, but although he technically has blood from the... Anyway, I just I feel like it's the forgotten house of the Adine in some ways. And so raising its profile a little bit, that feels to me like a, like a plus. Um, uh, now, Hondir... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, so we, it would put things, I'm not sure, Marie, that I am prepared with a a definite answer to the question, if Brondir, or not Brondir, if Hondir comes to Gondolin, what is the result, right? Like, 
Yeah. In, oh, yeah. I I didn't mean we needed to have an answer like Pat and ready to right. go. Just that if we make the choice, oh yeah, let's throw him in the group and let him be along. But like, then we need to give him a fate. Right. There needs to be something for him, even if it's just to die horribly in the near knife. Like dying that's... horribly in the near knife is good. Setting up so that, um, and again, this is another thing in the Silmarillion. I always feel like Brondir kind of comes out of nowhere, right? I mean, like it's not nowhere. We get we get a genealogy. We just don't care about it very much, right? right. It's like mm. it's who can I, who keeps what? track of it, right? What if? <laughs> okay. What if he's injured? What if Hamdir is injured, not killed, in the near night, and returns to Brethel and changes his name? <laughs> no, he's why no? He's Brandir's father. He's the wrong generation. Yeah, he's the wrong so generation. What? Okay, but I Corin mean, survives. Yeah, yeah, but we need Brondir. No, to but it, be that, it's, it'd be like son. way too creepy. Yeah, because yeah, the whole thing is it's a it's a love triangle with with Niniel. Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. All right, we can't have we can't her, have Brondir. You can't have someone who's her literal father's age. Macking on the right. baby daughter. All right, yeah. all right, Super all right. creepy, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could. It's just it would, no one would be rooting for him. No, no, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yep. he I mean, is the father of Brondir the Lame. Yeah, okay. he's so the father. whatever we do with him. But see, that's... So, do, okay. Is, is the love triangle necessary to the story, though? So, hang on, hang on. That no, Niniel has a choice who's not her brother? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's... So... Here's my Brondir idea, right? Which is not a digression because I think it's because it's a what is his destiny? Like, what's the point of Hondir? And the, I think the point is like what should have been from Brondir, basically. I think that Brondir is a, a tragic what should have been, what ought to have been kind of story, right? Okay. Um, Brondir ought to have married Neonor. Like the the houses, the house of Hador and the house of ought to have been rejoined, even though it's they're kind of second cousins. But uh, they are, yeah. Uh, that's okay. Second humanity's cousins. only been around for a few hundred years. There's not that many ge- genetic you know, defects to yeah. s- spread around. <laughs> exactly. Second also, cousins is all also right. Preferable to what did happen, right? <laughs> Compared to siblings, oh man, yeah, exactly. Second cousins is much. Who's going to complain about the second cousin? Yeah, uh, um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, second cousins is not even incest for elves, who right. apparently would care more about that sort of thing. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, second cousins is second fine. Cousins is legit, is, is legit. Anyway, but but it's 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 not only that he's like that like he ought to have been, but to. But I mean, I would even be willing to invent a kind of, st- not a full-blown like Arendil style messianic tale, right? For well, for for him. Well, I mean, any more than Tour versus Turin. I mean, they're different stories, obviously. Yes. <laughs> so so Brondir needs to be different than the other two, and not in a. Also, not Arendil. Like he's not not yeah. like could have been Arendil, but wasn't. No, like he has to have his own story. Yeah, but but that there's but it can it, be a one of what could have been. Yeah. yeah, that there's some kind of like potential high destiny for Hondir's line, right? For Hondir mm-hmm. and Brondir and the line that was, and but it just the whole thing fizzles out, and right. it's 
you know, I'm not saying it's all Turin's fault. I'm just saying it is. It would be one of the tragedies of the Turin story, right? That like, because right. it's 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 one of the things, of course, about Turin, right? Is that it's not just that he goes around and wrecks everything. I mean, he kind of does, but it's not only that he goes around wrecking things. It's like everything that he touches turns horrible. Right. And like withers and dies, even when it's not his fault completely. Um, That's why he's super relatable. Totally. So the idea that through the Turin story, we could be bringing into, uh, sorry, bringing into fulfillment or bringing into flowered, not great metaphors here. We could be having the final stages of the tragic loss and, uh, dissolution of the potential um, great destiny of the House of Hondir. I don't know exactly what it would be, but something, right? And, yeah. So, the the love triangle does present some problems, right? Because what what do you do? Does Brondir actually have some sort of relationship with her? And he, and she like, does she have a relationship with both of them and chooses Turin? Or totally. does Brandir does want a relationship with her in the same way that Mylan wants with his cousin? Yeah, and well... Like, she, and he gets rebuffed because then it's like, well, no means no, dude. Like, she's not she's not into you. Right. And, and if That's you, the tragedy. And right, he respects but if that. You, right, but if he accepts it, then the... It, but she if he just accepts it, him. then it's not a part of the story anymore. No, it is. It totally is. I mean, like, his love for Niniel is part of the story right up until the moment of her suicide. Right. So, like, we don't have to do a full-blown, like, Grey's Anatomy um, interpersonal dynamics dragged out for two seasons about this particular love triangle. But we could incorporate it, and it doesn't mean that they're just going to get over it because Niniel decides to marry Turin. We know yeah. that Brondir goes to her before the wedding and says, you shouldn't do this. And she says, but I'm gonna. And right. he apparently is okay with it. But why are you warning someone right before their wedding? Like, right. you're not really okay with it, right? So, well, I mean, and, there would be yeah. a dynamic there. There'd be a story there. And that she likes and respects him and yeah. might, like, she might have been into him if not for the fact that Turin was there, right? And rescued her. Turin's and, the one who rescued yeah, her. That's part yeah. of what... And he's Turin. I mean, yeah, he's studly yeah, and gorgeous and everything. And not Brondir the Lame. And not Brondir the Lame, exactly. Yeah, and she, yeah. so she has this, like, uh, you know, she totally friend zones him, right? But they're close. And, um, but then again, so, but, yeah, so, Marie, Marie the, there are those two really great moments, right? The one, the warning, right? Mm-hmm. Where where he is like totally not wrong, right? He is emphatically not wrong to warn her against the the the, the marriage, um, and yet, of course, it's totally and sort of. But he's also biased. missing the most important piece of information about why it's wrong. Because it's, it, it's other than the fact that they are brother and sister, it's not really. Well, that's the point. Is he yes. trying to warn her, and she doesn't <laughs> go along with know. the argument? Right. Well, that's the thing. Is obviously the reason he's trying to warn her is not that. 
Right, right. But he can have a foreboding that he, she really shouldn't marry this guy and nothing good will come of it, which is what he tells her. And she's like, really now? Funny that you have that foreboding. I'm going to go get married. <laughs> right. Like it, The fact that he, she knows he's into her is why she ignores the warning. Because she, yeah. it's be- It seems groundless. Right. What seems yeah. just biased, yeah. basically. Right. 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 Of course he feels that way. And this is going to be the second love triangle that we deal with with Turin because there's already the Gwyndor Fenduela situation, which is very similar in yep. that Gwyndor is broken from his time in Angband and looks aged and not like, you know, lame, beautiful yeah. young elf that he once was. Exactly. So we're going to see Turin put up as like, oh, but this guy <laughs> compared to people who have no chance so- against him, even though. Turin's really bad news. Yeah, I'm. I'm still not sure that the counterfactual is enough to be the great destiny that was laid upon Hondir. Well, I don't even know what the great destiny was. by his by his presence in in um, yeah in Gondolin. No, I, it, as I say, I I, I I'm not, I, we can. I, I, I'm not even proposing what the the Great Destiny would be. I just think it would be cool for them to have one, and whatever the Great Destiny is or might be, falls to pieces uh, with Brandon maybe and and Turin, mm-hmm. and their line dies. Basically, I mean the direct line dies. Yeah, um, yeah. with Brandir. Okay, uh, murdered and by Turin. This could be. I mean that Hondir and Hurin, their sons kill each other. Like, like Hurin's son kills mm. Hondir's son. That's kind of a big deal. I kind of like to set that yeah. up, you know? Right. And the only way I can see putting them on screen together enough is either sending Hondir to Gondolin yeah. or making part of her yeah. in story that he has to go back to Brethel and spend time winning over the people of Brethel to this new war plan. And we're following mm-hmm. her and because he's the guy who does that. Right. But that's not necessarily a story we would want to tell either. Right. So yeah. I'm not sure that that gives us any yeah. benefit. No, it's, it's very clear that placing Hondir in Gondolin is the more elegant, more efficient way sure. to, for sure. to yeah. get sure. that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. For sure. And, um, and cause it would also, cause here's my other concern. We, it would be possible to develop their relationship and uh, Hurin's leadership as, like, he rallies the people of Brethel and then Hondir is, like, his right-hand dude through the near knife, right? Except he's already got a right-hand dude, and I don't yeah, want Hondir to be competing with Hur, right? So, right. Yeah, right. he's already... I mean, here's the thing. Like, the way that I'm kind of picturing Hur and have been, as we've been thinking this mm-hmm. through, is... He's, I imagine him as this really tall, good-looking guy who's very quiet. Right? Like, Rian's just, like, all about him. Right? right. Um, because he's just, he's he's really handsome. He's, you know, he's... he's handsome, he's quiet, sensitive. Brooding mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, sure, like, sure. Y- yeah. You know, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um... And so maybe he's not necessarily Hurin's right hand guy when it comes to 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 standing in the room in the war room, right? Right. Um You know, you can see them being 
side by side in battle for sure. But yeah. he's not. He, Tour is not Hurin's peer. Hanbir is. Right, right. Okay. I see what you mean. Who are yeah. is, who are? So you're wanting who, who's a younger son? Keeping him in like the younger brother role, essentially. Yeah. 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 Like he's got Hurin's back for sure. Yeah. But he's not going to step up and open his mouth and in, in council with the elves. That's not really his role. Right. Right. Having Hurin and Huor both espousing a particular course of action wouldn't necessarily count as two votes in the way right. that it would if Hondir and Huor, right. or Hurin, rather, were both. Yeah. 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 I, I can see that. I can see it. And yeah. again, and I, I, I was feeling the qualification you were making, Nick, though, like, in suggesting this, you're not saying we're like minimizing or relegating to no. the margins. Who no, he has uh, he's got his own personality, yeah. but also his. I can also see like his goals are very different from Hurin's. Yes, like he is changed by his presence in Gondolin in a very very different way. Um, yes, and, well, which is one of the reasons why he gets that moment of foresight as uh, as they're bidding farewell to Turgon. So let's think about. Let's think about that question then, because this seems to me like this, this feels to me like the difference between me being kind of interested in this idea and me becoming enthusiastic about this idea of sending Gondir to Gondolin. And that is, how are they going to respond to Gondolin? Right. What is the Gondolin effect? So we have four questions to answer. Well, three to four, depending on how many humans we decide to send. Right. What is the Gondolin experience? What is its effect on Hurin? What is its effect on Huor? What is its effect on Gondolin? And then, optionally, what is its effect on Hondir if Hondir goes too? Do we want a third scenario? And here, in mm. part, I'm kind of thinking of the, the parallel that I can't help but remember is the way that we had the three houses of the Adain and their relative relationships with, you know, playing out the different possibility, possible yeah. scenarios. And before and, that, the three ambassadors to yeah. Valinor. Yeah. Like, this is a three ambassador situation yes, kind more of than anything. Yeah, but, well, because, they, like, there are elf elves, human elves, and dwarf elves, and there are elf humans, human humans, and dwarf humans. Like, and, it's... And we're not even getting into the... <laughs> human hobbits, elf hobbits, and dwarf yes. hobbits that we yes. will get later on, right? Yes. yes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the three is, um. it's a thing. Like, this is, this is, right. yeah. So, 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 right. But, so if there's, but if we can think of a really compelling way, like, a, mm -hmm. of, a, of a third, um, let's Could start I? with Hurin and Hur. Yeah. Let's start with Hurin and Hur, because those we know, right? right. Um, Do we, though? Well, well, no, no, no. I'm saying, those we know are going oh, and are definitely going to have yeah. a reaction. So, right. so Hurin comes out of this thinking, I'm the guy. Yeah. He's not the guy, but the guy's coming. And Huor is going to figure that out. Huor comes away from this really contemplatively. Like, this really, this experience really impacts him in a way that... Um, so the, the like the world is a lot bigger mm -hmm. than he thought. And there are things in this world that matter a lot more than he was really aware of. Okay. Um, 
So Huor, what he essentially what you're one, what you're suggesting is that we use Huor's Gondolin experience in Episode One as a direct setup, essentially for him his sacrifice of his life. Um, <clears throat> Which, of course, Huron and Huor both are sacrificing their lives with the men of Dor Loman in the Fens of mm-hmm. Sarek. But, um, uh, but there's a – we can make a distinction there, uh, yeah. I, I think. But so, is that what you're thinking? Of, Hu- like Huor the, has almost like a mystical experience, right. I right. would say. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to say we're either going mystic or poet with him right. in, this, in this version. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes. So, like, it is in Gondolin that he gets the first glimmers of what will manifest itself as the prophecy that he utters in the Fens of Sarek. He might actually, when he's talking, as they're, as they're planning, leading up to the Near Knife, he might sound a little bit like Frodo after, like, during and after the scouring of the Shire. You mean like, like when he's prophesying Sam's children kind of uh, yeah, it's, yeah, sort of. So, yeah. Um, not necessarily that, but just kind of like like this this idea that there there's more out there. I'm not just sacrificing myself for my people and my family and my brother who's standing beside me, and you know, it's for kind of like this this greater the great the greater good in a sense, but like this this something bigger. Yeah. 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 As G.D. Taurian was suggesting, if Huor is the, like, spokesperson for Estelle among the humans, basically, and mm-hmm. that's what he gets at Gondolin, right? He emerges from Gondolin with <clears throat> Estelle, which takes that particular form. Like, he realizes um, not just, like, his uh, sort of general conviction, right, that what should be shall be and that everything is going to is going to work out um, will crystallize into this realization, right? From you mm-hmm. and from me, a new star shall arise, right? right. That yeah. he, he gains in the moment of his death or before his death um, a, uh, a an insight into how you know, the, Estelle is going to work out in the lives of their families and such. Um, but I like that, that idea of who are being the voice of Estelle basically Um, which means he needs to be a voice of wonder in Gondolin his experience of Gondolin is just like wow this is amazing and I am blown away yeah and one of the things that I think that through that we can have who are appreciating is of course we remember that Gondolin is deliberately set up to look as Valinorian as possible it's a scale model right of like Valinor right yeah yeah um, so that he, Huor, has this sort of quasi Valinorian, like he's the one who appreciates most that element of it, mm-hmm. right? That he's because they they've all met elves, right? This is not like crazy to mm-hmm. any of them. It's in in that sense, of course, um, the going to Gondolin is not like a traditional trip to fairy situation, right? Because mm-hmm. they've already met elves. Like it's <clears throat> it's kind of it's not like it's no big deal at all, but. Anyway, like, it's a known thing. Um, I just had a realization. But he has a different experience in Gondolin. Go ahead. 
I think that it's from Hurin and Hur that the the rest of the Elvish world outside of Gondolin first get the actual story of what happened in Fingolfin's duel. Because nobody else saw it, and it it so Thorondor tells the story of what because he Turgen. saw the whole thing. Yeah, tells the story to Turgen. Yes, and Hurin and Hur are presumably there by that point? No. No? When did they get rescued? So, the Dagger of Ragalak ends. Yeah. And then Fingolfin dies. Right. And then at least a year after that, Sauron takes over Tulsirian. Okay. The eagle kidnapping situation, the skirmish that they're involved in, happens yeah. after Sauron yes. gets Tulsirian. Okay. Yes. All right. So, we're at least a couple years after Fingolfin's okay. death. However, if the eagles have told Turgon, then the people of Gondolin know, and mm-hmm. that's a story that could be told. It would still be recent history, yeah, and a big deal. So it could still be told to them in yeah. Gondolin. The thing is, though, we were definitely implying that like the whole world was watching while that no. duel was going on. No, we yes, we, no, we, we did imply that. No, yes. well, the, no, the, I was implying that they were aware that something that there was, was an happening. awareness. Yeah, I mean, well. The, which, Not that they were screen. actually watching it. Of course they weren't actually watching it, but my point is when you have people who are somewhere else reacting to a thing that is happening on screen, it means that they're aware that it's happening. Okay, but the first thing, I don't think anybody would come away from that situation thinking that all those people knew the blow-by-blow. Blow. That's right. the first thing. But that's not really the point. That's the not where I'm going you'd with you'd think this. would be kind of interested yeah, in this story. Yeah, yeah. I think that Turin, that Hurin could get inspired by the story of Fingolfin. Mm. Right? He is following... So this is the myth that Fingolfin creates. Right? That was a big part of kind of where where we wound up going with that is, is Fingolfin realize, his realization that he's standing in the mythic moment. Right? Yeah. And he creates this myth for everybody else. And Hurin gets moved by this. Okay. To like to that. make the decision I'm going to I'm going to be a part of that. And this is that, why that can he work. ends up pro union of Mithros and mm-hmm. at Fingon's mm-hmm. side saying, Okay, now's yeah. the time. Yeah. And this also um, would ex- would explain the please Turgon let us go because I want to do the thing. Right. Yeah. Well it also explains one of the reasons why he's so high in the councils of Fingon, because like he's got the direct like connection to dad. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, I like that. I, by the way, I, I really love that GD Towerian just posted yes. a really brilliant thing, right? Yes. Huar equals Vanyar equals Beor. Yes. Hurin equals Noldor equals Hador. Mm-hmm. Haldir equals Teleri equals Haladin. Yes. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Love it. That seems um, that 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 works. That fits in with. I mean, of course, that almost literally fits in with Huor being like yes. a poet figure, <laughs> yes. right? If he's parallel to the Vanyar. Uh, but again, thinking about the three ambassadors and the, the other threes. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. Starting to get enthusiastic, but okay. Okay. So the handier. So Huor Huor is lost in wonder. 
and mm-hmm. he has a vision as of Valinor itself, right? He right. now understands they've heard of the light in the West. Like, who, who are is like the light in the West is, is here. Like, I've seen it now, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, and... I am now fighting on the side of the Valar. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's... he's and that he becomes ever after contemplative, poetical, mystical. Um, that seems a, a very appropriate reaction. That someone should have that reaction, right? That someone mm-hmm. should um, be so struck with wonder that they never recover, right? Um, mm-hmm. And this would be a reason for him to be not, like, to- really vocal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. All the time. Um <clears throat> Hurin is motivated to action, as you say. He relates to the story of Fingolfin, right, and his uh, his desire to lead and to strike against Morgoth and to and to be involved in 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 the war against Morgoth directly is inspired yeah. by his time there. Yeah, Hondir. So one way to look at this would be: Who in Gondolin are all these people talking to and interacting with? Mm. Yes. Because obviously, I want Huor to at least encounter Idril. Well, oh, yeah, yeah I was obviously, that too. yeah. And yeah, exactly. I feel like Idril would be really good at inspiring the mystical wonder of life in human that she just met for the first time. Yeah, the only thing we have to be like super careful of is not to make yeah. that weird. <laughs> yes. well, right. well, he's very young. Yeah, true. He's three years. Younger he's than like his thirteen or something. I mean, no. Like, well, there's a be, yeah. yeah. But he's still, he's a teenager. He's a teenager. So she could just be like, oh, you know, people your age are like children among the elves. Wasn't it then? I mean, there's at least one version of the story, isn't there, where Hoor lies about his age or like whatever. He's allowed to come even though he's like only 14 or something or something like that. And and that's Um, whether or not that fits our timeline is another story. But he is three years younger than his brother. So if Perrin is 18 to 21 when they get there. Um, 15 to 18. 15 to 18, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so obviously I'm Idril for who are, yeah. and it sounds like Turgon is going to have to have some personal conversations yeah, with Hurin. With yeah, Hurin. Totally. So yeah. that leaves Myglin. I was thinking well, about ha- that. Ha- ha- also Glorfindel and Exalian. I mean, we do have other right. cool There's gondolindrum. Some... Yeah, yeah. Someone could oh. end up stuck in the library with Pengalot. I'm not saying it has to be Myglin. <laughs> I was thinking that too, though. I was thinking, but that there too. is Myglin. There is so Myglin. the so we got to think about how Hondir would feel on his initial exposure to Gondolin, because at least Hurin and Hurin have have probably at least been to. Um, to Mithrim at some point. Faradaythal, probably. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, like they've seen an elvish city before, right? They live in a relatively civilized place in comparison to Brethel. Um Hondir has none of that. He has no context. And he's from the Haladin, who are the most elf-averse of the Edain. right. So, like his first response is kind of. It's going to be pretty hostile. Well, that's the obvious perspective we're lacking, right? If Hurin is like, yes, like, I am part of this world and I'm going to make an impact. And Huor is Mr. Mystical Contemplative, I have seen a higher truth. Then 
we need somebody. Don't we need somebody to be the mortal who is like, I am creeped out by all of this and yeah. I Get want me out nothing of to here. do with his yeah. help. <laughs> right? right. Please help me escape someone. Yes. At the very least, what I was thinking was that he sees Turgon's not xenophobia, but his his well, it's it's close to xenophobia, but it's not quite not, that. Not xenophobia. Yeah. It's, yeah, okay, fair enough. But he he sees that and sees the negative impact of that, mm-hmm. and that kind of drives him to move the Haladin away from that. Yeah, uh, to devastating effect, obviously, but. Right. Um, but the idea that the the realization that we can't just hide in our enclave and hope that the bad guys never knock on the door. Right. That, that could okay. be an almost defiantly, like, anti-elf stance well, on his part. It's not, well, I, what, but it's, it, he's very self-reflective about it. He's like, right. oh... This is this what is we're doing. Yeah, right. we're, yeah, exactly. And but, so he might, but he might have an experience with somebody who realizes this is all going to go, be, become terrible. Like he might have an, an interaction with Idril that kind of makes him realize, okay, it's not the elves that are the problem necessarily. Like it's this idea that somehow we can kind of hold on to the world the way that we want it to stay. So he could be the one that challenges Turgon's point of view. Because mm-hmm. Huron's not going to challenge. Well, like, Huron wants he's, to leave. Like He, wants he to does, be involved. but he's very enthusiastic about everything he's been told. So he can't be like, but Turgon, you're doing this all wrong. Right? Like, he has to say, I want to go fight. But he, he's got to be respectful of Gondolin if that's what inspired him to go fight. If Handir was like, get me out of here the whole time, and then is finally like, look, I see what you're trying to do. I'm from Brethel. We get it. But this is all wrong. Like, th- this is going to not work out. If he actually says something like that to the king, it's going to seem very like, what a terrible guest you are. Yeah. But... It could be he could say something that sticks with Turgon later and makes him go, "Yeah, I kind of need to." Because this is the fourth yeah. question: the impact on Gondolin, right? Right. It's right. Because somebody has to say something that makes Turgon go, "You know what? I should maybe join my brother for this giant fight we're having." Right. right. Yes. Like yeah. somebody has to be the inspiration for that, even yeah. if Turgon yeah. didn't want to hear it at the time. Yeah, like Hurin, like he's he's not necessarily like he he's gotta be savvy enough to realize that maybe I don't tell the king that he's wrong <laughs> about his kingdom. Like, right. he could be wrong about us. That's mm-hmm. different. Like, I, yeah. I can say, look, I gotta go. I can't. Yeah, we're can't mortals. Stay. It's just different for us. Sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right. <laughs> but if Hunter's been going, like, get me out of here the, the whole time, if he's been anti-Gondolin from the beginning... Yeah, he he might not be as politic in how he expresses himself. Yeah, yeah. he would remember. Brethil is crude even by Edine standards. Yeah, right. 
So, and Gondolin is like the other end of the spectrum, right? Right. Completely yes. other end of the spectrum. I mean, he's going to feel extremely uncomfortable. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a city, and he was raised in a very rural area. And way beyond city. It's like I, yeah. Yeah. magical I mean, totally techno city. It's, it's right? heaven. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I mean, not a, a heaven that he's comfortable in. Like, he's he is not happy there. He is... Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I I like this. There, it feels like there does need to be because again, I'm thinking back to the fairy uh, yeah. paradigm, right? That mortal impulse that says, "I have gone into a place where mortals were not meant to be. Yeah. I'm gonna be destroyed or whatever. Like, let me out and let me go home." Um, whether he could not want to eat their food. Yeah. When when they first show up, yeah, like he, I love he, it. He, he yeah. can not want to eat the food. Don't eat the food. Like they, you'll no, never be they, able to go you, home. Right, yeah. you're going to get stuck here. And who's yeah. like, no, that's not how it works, dummy. <laughs> right, exactly. What a peculiar that, superstition. Yes, but yeah. that concept of the, like, yes, it would I don't be really long here. I yeah. I'd better not. But yeah. it would be really great to like bring that yeah. piece of mythology into it. I think yeah. that would be really cool. Um, so you don't get a lot of opportunities for that. I, uh, this also um, doesn't this kind of. I feel like this this is almost necessary to to help with the why do they get to go home sort of like mm. storyline. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. never the the at least in the published Silmarillion. I feel like that's it feels a little too feels a little too easy. The mm. Turgon agrees. To Very let them... conveniently, Turgon lets this one guy go. Yeah. Where no one's ever been allowed to leave before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this feels. I mean, like to be fair, funny. these people had no idea how to get in here. Right. It's that's the, the technicality, yeah. right? Yeah. That's yeah. the technicality. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think, but I think, like having having a character who just is like, where it's just clear this person doesn't belong, and if and if we force him to stay, it might cause problems. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, it gives Turgon more reason to actually want to allow it. So also, we don't really... Do we have a character either in the published Silmarillion or or in or in what we've adapted so far? Do we have, like, a human character who has this reaction to fairy? I don't feel like we really do. Like, the it seems like usually... Not this reaction. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's sort of the political you know, like reaction, but there isn't sort of the like, whoa, I'm really creeped out. Like that doesn't really, that's not really a, like a, this isn't presented much. Without that, with the, with one significant confounding variable to the situation, um, Baron coming into Doriath has elements of that, right? That's true. Um, Again, the confounding variable is Luthien, right? Whom he's fallen in love with. And so that changes the game pretty significantly as far as he's concerned, right? But but nevertheless, like the whole like out of place, you know, vagabond, you know, worn down with travel and suffering. And now like before he knows it, getting brought into the hall of the elf king, right? That's that's there. There's an element there of the out of place mortal in fairy. Right, yeah. um, but I, yeah. I think we can do it differently here, and, very much, yeah. and emphasize that aspect of the story even more. Yeah. So, yep, for sure. So there you go. There's your reason of why Hondur gets I to go to Gondolin. I think okay. we need him. Okay, so I'm okay with it as long as we come up with a fate for him at some point. Yep, and where there seems to be some movement of either Almo or Manway or somebody 
wanted him there yep. for some reason. That's yep. that's all I'm asking for. And the fun thing is we don't even need to come up with the actual reason, right? <laughs> if it's not going to be fulfilled. Um, well, yeah, but... But it could fulfill some... Like, there should be some kind of thing that happens. There needs to be something. Even if it's implied there could have been more or different or whatever, there has to be... Something. Because at the end of the day, Iluvatar wants him there, yeah. and Iluvatar does not. <laughs> His plans work out. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Maria, when you say someone has to want him there, I, I suppose you don't mean Corey, right? Because <laughs> I want him there. I'm convinced. <laughs> I, I'm noticing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, I meant within the story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think it would be good to have a third perspective. And I think it will allow us to do things we couldn't do with just her and who are. So, well, and if good. we follow the trajectory of Tolkien's later thought, that is, I'm not saying we necessarily do all the stories from the wanderings of Hurin and stuff, but, and by the trajectory of Tolkien's later thought, I mean actually developing a later story about the Haladin and what happens with them. Right. I was about to say, we do need to destroy everything in Beleriand by the end of the first age. Yep. Including Brothel, including the Haladin. Like they need it their their story will need an end. And a sad, unhappy, tragic end. But we will need one. Well, needless to say. But um, right. uh, but of course then we also need to bring uh, you know, a pack of refugees to Syrian, you know, to the exactly. Havens, right? Exactly. Um, so that was the other thing I was going to suggest, by the way. Um, uh, as far as destinies are concerned, mm -hmm. um, something Havens of Syrian and possibly Voyages of Arendel related, right? Mm. Um, like, what if, um, uh, what if the descendant of Handir, well, he's not a direct descendant because his son... Just because his son is the only one who's named on the family tree doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that there weren't three unnamed daughters that true. we can give him if we Very need to. True. We can give him, we can give him daughters. Um, yeah, so, so, if one of his descendants, at the very... Like, one of the easiest things would be to have one of his descendants be one of the three mariners with Arendel in the end, mm -hmm. right? Is going to make mm -hmm. it to Valinor, right? That would be the kind of thing where I'm like, okay, that pays off him being right. in Gondolin in the first right. place. Um, okay. That's an easy thing. And especially if that guy, um, I mean, by the way, talk about your minor characters who are ripe for much larger roles in the film film version, right? The three named mariners who don't get off the boat in Valinor are mm. uh, prime candidates. And of course, especially if we're going to do a bunch of like Voyages of Arendel business. Right. You know, right. he could be. Those are the guys who are having those adventures. <laughs> right. He could be, he could be, he could be pretty significant. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, All but, right, so, so there's, there's possibilities. Yeah, plenty, plenty of possibilities. Right. And it would be, again, like in the published Silmarillion, when Brondir dies, we're done with Bretho. Yes. I mean, it's not even really, we don't even barely even get alluded, it barely gets alluded to ever again. Um, yeah, it's over. Yeah, so um, we... 
We will need to end it in a different way. Or, that actually ends the story. Again, or uh, again, Tolkien's own impulse in his later writings was to, to actually sit down there for a while and be like, what happens in the future generations? And some of those, uh, some of those Haladin characters um, from the Wanderings of Huron are kind of fun. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that we could that we could actually integrate in those intermediary seasons when yes. Bretha will be falling and moving down with the refugees. But um, anyway, yeah. So, um, uh, yep. All right. So, Hondir, he's coming on the trip. Love it. Okay. The okay. threes, the three ambassadors, the three, ch I mean, I, yep, this, I think. We need to not break up the threes. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, and then we'll have three eagles to carry them, of course. And I've never heard of any other quantity of eagles carrying anybody around at any point. No, so. no. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, yep, yep. Can't believe you pulled it off, Corey. There we go. No problem. But it's, it's going to save time later on because... It, it will allow us to do some interesting we things. We don't even need to go to Bretho anymore. We can just right. have Hondir show up with the people mm -hmm. um, at the Near Knife and explain right. it. Um, okay. Perfect. So... I was, was going to think of a second... Oh, did we... Do we... Do, Let's mm, the gondolin question. The 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 changing gondolin question. Turgan's mindset question. It would be cool if basically Turgan is affected by all three of them in some right. way or another. Right? The um the anti isolationism stuff explicitly from Hondir. The follow in the footsteps of your dad thing from Hurin. Hurin. Mm -hmm. uh, and even even from Hur. Hur could be a reminder that this is not Valinor. Because mm -hmm. the more Hur's like, I've found Valinor. Right. Turian's like, like actually, yes, yes, that's yeah. the whole reason I made this place was to be just like Valinor. But the more Hur's like, yes, yes, this is it. He's like, it's totally actually, not. Actually, yeah. No, yeah. It, so it could yeah. be a reminder to Turgan that everything he's built that he loves isn't what this is all about. Yep. Specifically because Hur loves it so much. Yep. Yep. Like, yeah. It both... In one sense, of course, like you always sort of like appreciate things anew when someone is appreciating Discovers it like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, there, there would be that element. But you're right; that would have a kind of a double edge for Turgon, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. um, uh, even a conversation between Turgon and Huor, right? In which, uh, you know, Turgon basically ends up saying, "Really, actually." Um, I I hear you, and I'm delighted that you're ha you know that you see this and that it makes you feel this way. But man, actually, if you'd really see, I mean, he could be looking at the trees, right? The gold mm -hmm. and silver trees, the image of the trees, and being yep. like, "Oh, this is oh, it's the most beautiful thing ever." And Turgon's like, "Actually, yeah, wow, <laughs> like this is not actually to be compared to the two trees themselves." Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just yeah, just some reminder to Turgan that the you know the whole love not too much the work of your hands thing. Yeah. Like this is this yeah. is him realizing that through someone praising him and telling him how wonderful it is. Like Tour, sorry, Huor doesn't need to um, be negative or detracting or trying right. to gainsay him in any way at all and right. still give him that. Right. And I love the way that that sets up because it's clear that something has to really change in Turgon's heart later on when he is loving too well the work of his own hands and he is going to reject the message of Olmo, right? And so setting up, showing him not at that place right now so that we can, you know, we can, we can, we can, you know, work Bring out later. Yeah, how that changes. But, um, well, I mean, the near night will have an impact, the death of his brother. I mean, at this point, sure. he's lost his wife, his father, his brother, his sister. Yeah. Ironically, it's when he becomes High King that things change, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. That's great. All right. I just, so I just wanted to think through Turgon there a little bit more. And we can also show some impact on others. I mean, Idril's going to be, you know, there's going to be something that's going to be sparked in her as well. She may be the first one to have some kind of foresight, right? Um uh, well, these are the these are the first humans they've seen. Yeah, because Gondolin was founded before the mortals showed up. Yeah, so yeah, they never met humans before. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, so Idril will be affected. Um, Mygwen's not going to be a fan, right? Um, no. Uh, and especially not when they're allowed to leave. Yeah, especially not when they're allowed to leave. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in Gorfindel uh, in some setup ways. He's our uh, frame character, right? So definitely we'll want to see him in the main story as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's he going to do, though? In the first episode, not much. But in the final episode, I'm pretty sure we can find something for him. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um Yeah. Um, okay, great. So, in discussing Gondolin, we've also made progress in thinking about Brethel and its role, and also in thinking about Huor and Huor's character. Um, now, how is Huor going to be... So, if Huor becomes this sort of kind of contemplative poet dreamer character right after this um, he's still going to be supporting his brother but we would have him be essentially the person whom Hurin himself goes to right for he's counsel. a good listener for, yeah he's a good listener um Again, very much not like his brother's ally, but his brother's counselor mm. and uh, <clears throat> supporter, right? Hurin could go to him, like, in the final stages, like when they're getting, when they're staging to get ready for this, and be like, like, are we doing the right thing? Is this the right thing to do? And Hur's kind of like, 
you got to fight the bad guys. Right. Well, see, here's the thing. He he could he could be asking him, is this the best thing for our people? And who is like, I can't tell you that. That's right. not that's not what we're doing here. Right. Because see, if Hoor is the voice of Estelle, right? Day shall come again is the great, like, um, like battle cry of Estelle, right? Mm. And it's after Hoor's death. So if we have that, it would I think it would be most powerful if we can hear the influence of Hoor. Like basically, if the moment when Hurin is crying out, "Day shall come again," that's an actual departure for Hurin. Like the moment mm-hmm. when he himself is like when he's lo- when Hur is is dead now and he's lost everything. When he now in that last moment, as he's going to be captured, um, and realizes the end is upon him, like it's like now he finally gets what his brother has been saying all along, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and we we can hear and feel Huor's influence in um, uh, in in that last moment. Yeah, something like that. GD Towering was saying, um, Huor spends the whole season trying to teach Huor about Estelle, and he doesn't get it. Yeah, that he's <laughs> more focused on Amdir, right? On yeah. on you know. And Huron's gonna need some Estelle where he's headed. Exactly, exactly. So, and as I say, that last and so even. Even the way in which, um, of course, the the beautiful plays on the you know the the day has come right you know, the, the the daytime mm-hmm. stuff which sort of sort of culminates in day shall come again. Um, if we can see in Hurin like the the original day statements, they're all Amdir statements, right? And then mm-hmm. his bringing it back around again in the end is a shift. On Hurin's part, a shift from Amdir to Estel. Right. So, Hur will have to have been talking about something throughout the season that Hurin just didn't get, and yes. he'll have to have his own motif that he returns to. And if it probably can't be the day thing, because day's going to be Hurin's thing. Right. The day is here, and I'm the guy, and all that. Right. But with who are we know he says from you and me, a new star shall arise. He's into stars. Right. Right. Like we can, we could have him say, you know, say things about stars when Heron's talking about day and somehow get that there. Yeah. I, I think in the end, I mean, Nick, I'm thinking about, you know, what you were just, about, like advice that he would give to Huron and stuff. Right. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to be like, you know, if Huron is asking him, how can we make sure we win? You know, what can we do to guarantee victory? Huor is going to be like, can't, right? But it's okay, right? That's mm-hmm. that. That's that's not that's not the that's not the point, right? That's not. Uh, I'm pretty sure what Huron would say to him is. Well, what does it matter? You're going to fight anyway. <laughs> like, we know you're doing this. Right, right. Like, and he's like, no, 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 but I want to do it right for our people and to win and all this. And he was like, hmm. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> the step that Huor would have is like, yeah, we. this is the right thing to do. And we're doing it. We do the right thing for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. But then we just try like, outcomes. We trust outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, who or becomes the master of like the, uh, 
you know, Sam Gamgee and Estelle of like, I'm just going to go to sleep. Right. Because, and just trust. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that, so again, who are his, it's not like he becomes apathetic. Like it doesn't matter if we attack or not, whatever it's all good. It's, it's not no. about fatalism. It's about trust. It's about to, yeah. that like outcomes, outcomes are beyond, um, our, um, okay. So, so again, like to a, to an Omdir perspective, the near ninth Arnadiad is an utter and complete disaster, right? From mm. an Estelle perspective, it's not, it's a sad chapter in a longer story, which is still yeah. going to come out right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he trusts that. Um, and so again, like the, the purest statement of the purest, like attitude of Estelle is again, like Sam's like, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Right. Um, I'm probably going to die. I'm almost certainly going to die. Right. But at the end of the day, that's not the big deal. Right. Um, because I believe in the, you know, that the larger story of which I'm part is going to is going to have its right ending. Right. I'm going to trust in that. Um, some kind of statement of Estelle like this, not just the famous prophecy to Turgon, um, but some kind of statement of Estelle to Hurin as they're all clearly going to die in the fens of... When it becomes clear to all of them that they're going to die in the fens of Sarek, right? Um, that uh, um, Hurin can be apologizing, right? Like, I led us to disaster, right? Mm-hmm. I, we're all going to die. I failed. I failed as a leader. I, You know, our people have failed. Everything is... The Elf King failed. Everyone has failed and everything has fallen and everything... This is a complete disaster, Right? And who are to be like, no, you know, no, it's, mm. it's, I mean, yes, but no, like it's, you, you haven't, you haven't failed, right? Um, things haven't failed. This is not, this is not, this is not darkness winning, right? Um, right. This is Something not darkness winning. about how Huron's not conquered yet. <laughs> yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like they can... They can they can fight you as much as they want, but you're you're never going to be conquered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, and then again, so and this is where this take roots. This takes root in Hurin, and this is where like day shall come again comes from. Like the darkness right. is falling, right? But day shall come again. Um, mm-hmm. the, he is uh, he is speaking in the end the lesson that his brother taught him, um, and the final teaching can be right there, right before he takes an arrow in the face. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, who are the contemplative poet, mystic Estelle dude? I like this. And Nick, you know what my favorite part of this idea, you know, the, of your two or um, your who are your who are concept is? It's a delightful kind of self-referential thing, right? Like we get almost no lines from who are. We get almost no independent stories of who are. Yeah. Well, of course not, because he's a really quiet guy, right? That's why. That's why he doesn't get many, he's the many quotes. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of fun. Um, it's kind of fun. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about Morwen. I'm actually going to the Morwen slide now. Um, okay. What's her role in Hurin's development? We've just been talking about what Hur contributes, right? 
um, how he how we will see Hurin begin the season having this like fire lit under him, right? Where he becomes this highly motivated go getter, inspired by like his take home right from the Fingolfin story is Morgoth is not unassailable, mm. right? Which obviously fits with the Baron and Luthien lesson that you know Mytheros is is learning here, right? Morgoth is not unassailable. So he, Hurin, is going to come in with a different angle on that same story, right? Just as Fingon and Mytheros are talking, and Mytheros is like, hey, look, if Luthien and Baron can get in there, we can make this happen, right? Uh, Morgoth is not unassailable. And then Hurin comes out with the Fingolfin story and is like, hey, guys, Morgoth, totally not unassailable, right? Um like he's still walking with a limp after what Fingolfin did to him. If we all get together, we could take that guy down, right? That's so Hurin has this fire with that, but again, he's very um achievement focused, very Omdir focused. He's learning Estel from Hur. What does he get from Morwen? What is what is what is Morwen like? Morwen is I imagine that Morwen is someone who can challenge him she's strong she she definitely seems like the type of person who would speak her mind yeah and if she didn't agree with what he was doing she would let him know so Mm -hmm. morwen is immovable i mean like she is yeah right so he would trust that if he's trying to do his different things and everything and she doesn't like it she's gonna reset him yeah, Hurin and get him is in the, the right direction. Force and Morwen is the uh, immovable object. Right, right. They're, yeah. they're kind, of, which means they probably have a rather difficult relationship. Probably, I can't imagine mm-hmm. that the two of them are just like we get along all the time and right. we're just happy together and we just love each other so much. Yeah, like they don't really There'd seem be some like fireworks there. Yeah, they they don't seem like a cutesy couple. No. Right? I agree. <laughs> nothing, nothing about them is that. Hur so, and Rian, yes. Sure, that's yeah. different. Yeah. There's a little bit of an age gap there. and He's all soulful and she's mm-hmm. into it, right? And, uh, yeah. Um, she's she's very dramatic about it, too. Like, she just cannot, cannot live without him. Like, yeah. I, I just, I have to have him in my life. If yep. I can't have him in my life, I just cannot live. Yeah, I, I get it. More Morrowin, more detached, more um, detached. Well, yeah. mature, too. Mature, yeah. I mean, that's part of it, is that Morwen's 30 when the Near Knife happens, whereas Rian's only 24 or something right. like that. Right. Um, so there's that. But the the real issue is that we will have plenty of time. Mm-hmm with Morwen and Hurin on screen to develop this relationship. So we don't have to give them like one note and be like, this is how they are together. We can show what they're like at the beginning. And then as time goes on and how it develops and when they decide to have kids and how they react to their grief over the loss of their daughter, like there's a lot that happens for them. And we can see their love grow over time and weather some challenges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that the death of the child is a really good point. Um, mm-hmm. 
Morwin. Uh, Morwin's. She will speak her mind, but I would think she's rather an introvert. Um, kind of a loner. Mm. I get this sense, again, most of this sense, of course, I'm getting from the Turin story, which is where we learn most about Morwen, right? But the sense of her holding herself aloof, of her, every to everybody, not just to the Easterlings, but even seeming unapproachable, right? Almost not even, like, is she even really a human being, right? Or is she, is, you know, she there's something elvish about her and not just her beauty. Um, well, I mean, part of that has to do with her history she was born in Lodros mm-hmm. moved to Brethel as a refugee yep. that lasted for a while and eventually people in Brethel were like could you maybe all you know leave and then they went to Dor Loman. so she's on her third home yep. her people have no real right to be there they are outsiders like yeah. they're not they were not part of the people of Brethel and they're not part of the people of Dorloman. So how do they fit? And it would not be that surprising to me if she is viewed as aloof simply because she's not yep. from there, not part of that. Yep. Whereas Hurin is the more like flamboyant personality who is always the center of attention in the room, Morwen is not, right? Yeah, and he has the right to be there, even yeah, though he sure. grew up in Brethel, and even though yeah. he's been to Gondolin, and therefore he's a bit of an outsider, and his people might be like, who are you coming back here now? There's He has the right to be there. Mm. Yeah. And so he feels comfortable and at home in a way that the ho- people from the House of Bayard don't. Yeah. Um, I love the suggestions that um, uh, G.D. Tarrant is making here about the death of Lilith and how um, it could basically could be a moment of near despair for Hurin. Like Hurin, Hurin loses his Amdir, right? Hurin is, whereas Morwen, um, Morwen helps him as uh, Gitarian says to, to stay, to stay focused, right? Like it's um, the death of Lilith hits Hurin really, really hard and feels to him like a sign of doom to come. Right. Um, because, of course, it is kind of a wake up call. Right. I mean, he's all been blowing the like Morgoth is not unassailable. I will. We will take on the darkness. And then like the plague comes and his daughter dies. And it's got to be this moment of like, OK, so actually I'm opposing, you know, the, something pretty powerful, something way out of my league. Right, yeah. that can cause plagues hundreds of miles away, and uh, maybe this is you know so, and obviously it's this is not it's a it's a highly emotional thing the death of his child and not just a mere like tactical reassessment of his position mm-hmm. but but basically that that it leads him he is in his grief tempted to despair right tempted mm-hmm. to give up that this is like he he can't like it's all gonna. Lilith is dead. The um, you know laughter is dead. Uh, Their the joy is gone. How can they win? What's gonna? What you know? And well, Morwen holds him. You know to his. Yeah. Resolution. If anything, I would have to think that the people of Dor Loman 
probably weren't super keen on let's all go fight Morgoth mm-hmm. when Hurin showed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yes, they oppose Morgoth and they are allies of the High King of the Elves. Should there be a war, they're joining up. But they're not, like, eager for it, right. necessarily. Right. The plague probably changes that. If the Dark Lord's attacking them, time to attack back. Like, everyone who mm-hmm. lost a family member now has a very personal reason to go fight Morgoth, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a way in which the plague could be very galvanizing. And actually, I like that from Morwen, basically. And if she... Her, is like, look, this guy took our daughter. Right. You're allowed to go kill him now. Right. Her response <laughs> is, yeah, like, yeah. yes, you're right. Morgoth has killed our child, and we're not going to take that. <laughs> we're, right. we're not going to sit here and take it. Right? Yeah. Um, so, and mm. that, that reconfigures his perspective on things. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, and she's the one with the refugee experience, right? Um, it's time to take a stand, right? Would be her. So she would be, she would, when we talked about tension and conflict potentially between her and Morwen, it wouldn't be that he wants to go fight Morgoth and she resists that. She would be with him in, um, at that point, at that point. Yeah. I think her her views of that are probably going to change over time from at the beginning when he was just talking about it. Like, oh, sure, honey, you can totally go fight Morgoth someday, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's it's this thing that's not it's actually happening. It's never going to happen, yeah. Right, it's not real. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Yeah. So she can support him very superficially at first because she hasn't really taken it seriously. Right. And then at this point, she's like, no, I really want you to do that. And then maybe when it's actually happening... I mean, you know, sending your husband off to war in a war where probably a lot of people are going to die. That's a different thing than, yeah, you go get that guy, right? It's it's a bit more of a emotional leave-taking, I would think. <laughs> yeah, it, I agree. But I think, I can't see her wavering. She's still, oh, she's not going to go back. Yeah. It's just now she has to experience those emotions. Whereas it's not just the anger and the revenge. Now it's the, okay, this is terrifying, but yes, you need to go do the thing. Yeah. Mm. Now, stubborn and resolute is Morwen. What would they fight over, Horn and Morwen? I like the idea, because they're two very strong-willed people. They would totally fight. Um, What would they fight over? Um, She is from a culture that has a history of wise women serving as leaders and making important decisions. Mm -hmm. He's from a culture where have we met any women in this culture yet? I mean, there were women around. Some of them might have had names. We haven't talked about any of them because this entire culture is Hador likes to fight. (laughs) This this is not a culture that has had women leaders or women in respected roles in the community. It's it's the most patriarchal of yeah. the and houses of the Adain. Mm-hmm. And Morwen is not here for the patriarchy. Especially yeah. since it's not going to be hard to put her... I mean, 
to argue that she would be the next generation leader of, I mean, after, after, yeah. um, after ML Deer, after ML Deer. Yeah. So one of the things that she could have been trained do... up by ML Deer to be the mm-hmm. next leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she would then be in possession of Narsil. <laughs> Just saying. Um, so, but one of the things that we could, we could do is essentially that the, the house of Baor has, now come to live in Dorloman and like there's some push and pull between integration and you know now they come under the authority of the Lord of Dorloman well how much autonomy do they have right now and so there could be some political push and pull even between the two of them Um, we we don't because we've kind of shied away in a lot of times from overtly saying women are not equals to men in these cultures. We haven't really done a lot with that. Um, we, sh- we sure- certainly haven't said anything about that. Mm-hmm. Well, in the case of the Haladim, it right. wasn't true. <laughs> so that's why we didn't say it there. Right, right. right. Well, that's, that's my point, though, is that... Um, yeah. But the, in the House of Hador, I I think we have said it by not having had women have any role at all no, in any I, of the stories I, I, we've told. I, th- I think that's great. I think having that kind of cultural difference is, is excellent. Um, what are we going to do with Emil, dear? Uh, she will need to die at some point. <laughs> right. Um, she could, could die sooner rather season. than later. If, if yeah. you'd like her to die this season, we could have that happen. She's not going to die of old age this season. I forget how old she is at this point, but she's probably in her 50s or something. Yeah, she's anyway. not old. but she's, Yeah, she's yeah. she's not old age. So if we do kill her off this season, it would have to be an accident, the plague. Uh, she, she gets could, killed doing something basically, dangerous. The situation I'm imagining, in Brethil, Morrowind was basically taken under ML Deer's wing, right? Mm-hmm. So Morrowind mm-hmm. is essentially the heir apparent to ML Deer within right. the Beorian culture. Yes. I want to get rid of ML Deer when they go up to Dorloman. Dor-Loman. So mm-hmm. that in Dorloman, young Morrowind is essentially the kind of heir, you know, the 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 leader presumptive, the the one to whom the house of Beor, the Beorians who go into the north look to. Um, maybe not official because she's still young, right? And it's weird. She's twenty, and, right? I mean, which is fine, but like she, everyone knew that she was the apprentice of of you know that right. that mm-hmm. ML Deer meant her to be the next leader, and um, and they do respect Morwen, and they see in Morwen the potential for a great leader. Um, but also, they're moving to Dorloman, and they're not going to be independent, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they're sworn fealty to the king of Dor, you know, to Galdor, um, and so they're not going to. Ha- she's not going to be officially their leader, but like she's totally unofficially going to be their leader, right? So what if so? Emil Deer shows up on the on the scene, and she's kind of running the Bayor Bayorian enclave. autonomous enclave, right? Yeah, and yeah. nobody questions that because the people of Hador, the House of Hador are the ones who give her the appellation man-hearted. Mm. Like, because they don't It's okay because she's kind of, she's practically a man. She's practically a man. Practically right? a man, yeah. It's like King Hatshepsut, right? 
Right. right. She she shows up wearing a sword. Like she's she's a dude, as right. far as they're concerned. Right. It, right. right. Functionally, but a more, dude. yeah. But Morwen is not that kind of woman. Like she doesn't present herself in that way, and so she, um, doesn't garner the same kind of. And she's so young. Right. Right. So she doesn't get that mm-hmm. kind of respect. Well, you're okay. Right. Kind of thing. Right? right. And so there's no the the people of Hondor have no expectation that Morwen would be the person. Like to the Baorians, that's it's it's a seems, no, yeah. Right. It's like obvious. it's a no brainer. Like obviously yeah. Morwen, she's been set up like this this she's the person, right? Yeah. Um, but the people of Hondor have no like that wouldn't even occur to them. And when Hurin himself becomes king, it mm-hmm. becomes a point of tension, right? Yes. There's like yes. this subsection of his people who come to his wife and defer to his wife, mm-hmm. and it's weird from a well, from a Hadorian perspective. It's weird. It is, but it also brings up the question of why they got married in the first place, because we've already shown the double wedding as a essentially political wedding. Yeah. And if she's the presumptive leader of the House of Bayor, who doesn't really have any right to live in Dorloman, and he's the, oh, look, your dad just died, leader of the House of Hador, who's not married yet, there's probably some pressure from various sides of, yep. hey, if the two of them just got married, wouldn't that solve this a lot would, of this? Yeah, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here's my suggestion about that. My suggestion about that is that the people in Dor Loman wouldn't care because the people of Bayor are, are only – there's not that many of them and they're kind of like they're, – they're not a big deal, right, necessarily. So it's – so the Hurin's – the groom side of the room would not be looking at this marriage and being like, ooh, what an advantageous match for Hurin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. But the Bayorians now – they would. So my suggestion right. is that the, they, they would be like, hey, Morwen, like your you greatest act guy, of please? leadership. If you marry this guy, we're set. Right. Um, so they are like totally about allying her with allying to the people of Dorloman through Morwen. Right. Uh, unless it's unless the there's an understanding amongst the people of Hador that the Baorians are kind of. They they don't go through the proper channels first, and this right. is kind of their opportunity to to remedy that, like to unite the the power structure. They're. I think that people of Dorlimon are very comfortable where they are. I think so too. Sure. Yeah. Well, I I, I don't think that they feel that the power structure needs to be solidified. Okay. Um, there could be, I mean, certainly there could be a, a voice from Had, you know, the Hadorians um, who basically say, like, point out that it's cool, right? That, like, you're, you are the product of a joining of Brethil and Dorloman, and now you would be joining your house to Beor as well. So perfect, right? Um, that's that's lovely. That's nice. That would be mm. good. But again, I don't think they're like, oh yeah, this will really 
okay. help us because they don't need help. Like they're good, they're secure, and they're secure in their 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 allegiance, you know, to Fingen, right? To their to their mm-hmm. um, their relationship with Fingen. That's where they get their so, solidity from. So I guess the the real question is how comfortable are we in a situation where we're saying that to one side of this marriage it's a political marriage and to the other side it really isn't i think it's well i think it's kind of fun right so like he's into her because she's hot well yeah she's literally the most beautiful human woman ever (laughs) yeah so like there's a lot to recommend her there and she's cool i mean and she's like Got a presence. Strong-willed. She speaks yeah. her mind. Very different from the other women in the House of Hador who it's maybe true. just sit there quietly and <clears throat> yes. turns like, "What do I do with this?" Yes, she's not going to be. She's not going to be a, a, a yeah a Hadorian damsel, you know, embroidering in the tower while her husband goes off to war. Like that's not okay. Morwen, and he could be into that, right? You know that she and it would fit his whole go-getter spirit, right? That he would right. like so this he, prospect. He picks her because he wants her. Yeah. Okay. Her people are like, totally marry this yeah, guy. But two thumbs up from us. <laughs> right. This is this is right. this is a this and is so golden opportunity. Morwen can agree to all of this for this is this makes sense without necessarily wanting to be married to her. The tension can be there. The tension can be yeah. how much is she into him. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that's fine. Like if we're asking the question, I think that's fine. I, I mean I don't I'm not suggesting that we actually make more She's not unwilling. reluctant. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But so, more of the okay, I could do that, I guess, instead of the like, I'm so in love with you and well, you're so wonderful. It's, <laughs> right. So it's it's important not to view this with too modern a perspective because it would never occur to them. It would never necessarily occur to a woman in that position that to to do something other than what was going to move to adva- um, yeah. advantage her, yes, people in her position, right? Um, agreed. I yeah. mean, not to say agreed. it would never occur, but no, it, no, it, but it would... but I agree. The whole like, oh, the only reason to get married is warm fuzzy feelings is a very modern idea. Is right. I think what you're saying, and I agree. Right. Um, and yeah, and typically, traditionally, the idea that a marriage is not just about two people it's about their families right yeah in her case yeah. her family is the house of Bayor, who are these refugees living in darlum and she's gonna feel beholden to them and also remember right. there's another there's another dynamic here and that is rian is all about who are oh yeah right yeah mm-hmm. um and what we have with rian and morwin and who is another double wedding situation Right, because Rion well, justifiably can't actually. He, she, there would be pressure for for her to wait to marry until Morwen is married, even if they're not necessarily. Yeah, I, again, I that's guess, not going to be an issue. We're going to yeah. hold off on the Rion who are wedding get married for the same some time? years. They cannot. Rion's like thirteen. Okay. Depends on how young Hor <laughs> is. He's twenty. <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't have to be. No, he does. Who are? Why yeah. does he? He's three years younger than her. I know, but why does? Why do they have to be older? Why does who have to be older? We're pushing them older than they are in the books. Yeah. Why? 
I forget. There's a reason. <laughs> there was, there was, I, I, I you, trust, you asked for it at one point. I, I trust um, that there's a reason. Yeah. 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 You, you, you originally said that you didn't buy that a couple of teenagers saying you have to let us go right now. Turgoner will never have a chance to fight right. made any sense that they had to have been young men to be making that request. Okay. Yeah. But um, only one of them has to be. Yeah, they're <laughs> right. three years apart. Right. Do they have the to point be? is, yes. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> what needs to happen, what needs to happen is that Rian and Huar have an unborn child at the time of the battle. Yeah. Right. So Rian's reaction to this is very much the, we are newlywed and we're just starting our family and then uh-huh. all this terrible stuff happened. So their wedding takes place much closer to the end of the season whereas more women yeah. are going to okay. get married at the beginning of the season and turn's <clears throat> going to be born and be eight years old at the time of okay. the battle that's fair enough that's, that's fair what enough. i'm trying to that's explain. the real that's okay yes. that that makes more sense okay i still but i still want rian desperately in love with who oh yeah there. oh she can follow him around like a puppy dog the whole time i don't care yeah I, i'm just saying they're not getting married for a Fine. few years okay. yet. but that's all <laughs> but it still introduces that Dynamic that concept dynamic. of a double wedding, right? Right. Like, it, my cousin married mm. you. Can I marry his well, brother? So, Rian is gonna, like, I mean, she's, mm. yeah, she's, mm. she's, she's all in, right? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. And this provides us a a, a nifty contrast with yeah. Morwen, right? Mm. Morwen doesn't have to be all in on Hurin. She can be plus minus on Hurin and the right. whole marriage situation. Like he he's can, a decent of guy. He may not even really. He might not, not even really think about her that much, and Horan. and that that's and I don't mean he doesn't think much of her. That's not yeah. what I mean. Right? Like he's a king, she's he's, his wife. That's important. He's not focused on marriage. Right? She's yeah. not hit the most important thing piece in his life. of his yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. That's so really. She... She would become more important to him over time as he yes. realizes what role she plays in his life. Right. But at yes. first, she's just filling the checked the box, got a wife, got married, got married, doing the, got ready to have children, extra yep, bonus, had an heir right away, and it's a son. What a bonus! I'm doing so good here. I'm checking off all the boxes. <laughs> well, not to mention, I'm... married the hottest woman in the continent. Ever. So, like, that's yes. also good, right? <laughs> yeah, um, like, yeah. So he, so he thinks he's doing great with the whole marriage. Thing. Yes. Yeah. More I mean, Baron had to come back from the dead to do <laughs> what I'm doing all on yeah. my own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mar- Marwin might have a different perspective on how the marriage is going. 100%. First. Yeah. 100%. And so I think they but need to But she's get... doing what she's supposed to do also. Like, right. They, right. They're both kind of viewing this as we're doing the thing we're supposed to do. Except yeah. she wouldn't be viewing her role as the role she should supposed to have. Right. right. She would presume that they were going to have a, a partnership. A partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So and she's frustrated. She's frustrated. And he's like, I'm winning at everything. That's <laughs> exactly. Yes, what a great marriage we have. This is fantastic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it'll take a little time for him to notice yes. that there's yeah. a problem there. Yes. Right. And when he, he you know, probably have a few fights to get to that point. Right. Yeah. But eventually they are going to get through this because um, if we're having her be such a you know, strong support to him through the death of a life, then yeah. they've got yeah. to have figured it out by then. By then. Like if they're raising kids and and being that for So that another, could also really be the moment when she becomes his partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he 
they could be very like people raise kids in that state all the time. No, I know. I said I thought in this particular case we wanted them to get past that. Yeah. No, 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 we do. We do, but um uh but yeah, I I'm not sure it has to happen as a separate event prior. I think the death of Lilith can be the thing that causes the turning point. The turning okay. point in their marriage as well as like so <clears throat> the fact that Hurin himself wavers the fact that Hurin has this these mm. moments of despair after the death of Lilith and mm. she is the one who bolsters him and brings him through is what changes his perspective on what his marriage yeah you know brings to his life basically so that mm. could it would be really interesting if that helps him gain respect for her mm-hmm. and so he starts bringing her in yeah. more yeah. But it still takes him time to win her over, which doesn't happen until right before the end of their story. Like, and and we had talked about the potentiality of him of of him bringing Narsil into battle if if she gives that to him mm-hmm. as he's heading up. Like, that's like the ultimate sign of. You know, yes, I I believe in you. You're you know you're the guy, and um, and that fulfills that arc. Yes, um, I I do agree. We want Morwin to be. I think we want Morwin to be completely like she and Huron on the same page on the yeah. day he goes to battle. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. But I, I, I think it's important to extend that plot arc of their relationship as far into the into the season as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Because the further the 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 further it is into the season A, it you know it will f- it will feel like we've earned this bigger payoff, mm-hmm. and also it's going to be all the more devastating <laughs> when when the yes. the battle falls apart, right? Yeah. Um, you, were you just suggesting also, by the way, that Hurin is wielding Narsil in battle at the near knife? Yes. We got to find a way to deal with that. Obviously, I wasn't the first person to suggest this. By the way, this, this, this was somebody else's suggestion. This leads to a challenge, but yes. Um, yes. All right, we need to keep Narsil out of the Hill of the Slain. Yes. Um, yeah. But other than that, we can figure it out if that's what we want to do with it. Yeah. Um, at the last point was ML Deer had it and took it to Dorlum, and, and that's mm-hmm. where we've that's where we've got with Narsil so far. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm um, fine with ML Deer giving it to Marwan. Oh, that's fine. Before I forget about this, we we I I do have um, an ideal for uh, for Anael and his his son that we've introduced. Oh yeah, for this season, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll come back to Anael. Yes. Yeah, we we will need Anael next season. So good yeah. to bring him in this season. Yes, and some <clears throat> connection to Huor would be fun. Um. Mm. Anyway, just saying. Uh, mm. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Uh, but. Um, uh anyway, okay, okay. So this is great. I I I I I'm 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 digging the Huron and Morrowind stuff. Um okay, oh hey, look at that. We've only got one more slide and we're only twenty minutes late. It's fine. Um so we talked a good bit about Huron in the war. Um 
Actually, yeah, we talked about, about, about most of this stuff. I like it. Hurin's... The shift in Hurin's... So the, sh- the things that are... So the, the fundamental thing that we're going to get from Hurin in episode one, right? Mm-hmm. That he's going to get in Gondolin is going to be that the, f- the fire and... Pa- the conviction that he can make a difference, right? Yes. The conviction and the determination to do the thing. Right. Fingolfin almost did it all by himself. Right, Fingolfin, almost, and it's not that Hurin has like delusions of grandeur and thinks that he can do what Fingolfin personally. Couldn't. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not about that, but it's about like I, but I, I'm gonna be a part of the team, right? And I'm gonna make this, you know. So he has this drive. Like I said, he's the irresistible force, highly charismatic. You know, can move people to follow him and do things. Even as we will see, can get elf kings to follow his advice right mm-hmm. highly highly charismatic guy and um uh and he's gonna and 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 driven right driven yeah. to uh with he he's he's he emerges from gondolin with a vision right the vision my bros should Morgan. admire him yeah yeah um which is a shame that I, I, are they ever gonna meet um they're gonna have they're gonna be meeting in councils they're gonna have to talk all this out Right, you don't plan this giant offensive without some interactions. Right, well, my but question was just whether Mytheros was going to invite him, but I guess he would. If Mytheros is visiting Thingen, yes, Thingen 100%. will have invited 100%. her in. Yeah. Yes. So they have the opportunity, whether or not we... Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think Mytheros, Mytheros would appreciate it, for sure. Um, mm. In fact, there's even... It would be a fun kind of um, almost anti-parallel, right? Like Mythros's experience in Angband and having his hand cut off, right, mm-hmm. is what leads to his, like, renewed fire and determination, whereas Hurin's experience in Gondolin. So, like, he has a good experience, right? Yeah, but- and Hurin's fire and determination is what lands him hanging on the side <laughs> of Angband. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Seesaw. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that that drive, the the charisma, the drive, the determination, the vision for you mm. know fighting Morgoth, this is sort of the constant for Hurin, right? But the right. the 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 arcs, the trajectories that we were talking about with his character, basically focus on Morwen and Huor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because he's got to come over to the realization that I don't have to be the guy. Yeah. Yeah. To, and, for this to happen. And that, I think, is the lesson he learns from Morrowind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, in Morrowind, he actually has a peer himself, right? A partner right. Um, <clears throat> uh, whom he needs and uh, uh, who can help him. With Huor, he's learning Estel, right? Um, and... Whereas, again, he's focused on his Omdir. Vision is Omdir in one sense, right? Like to have a vision for something is essentially to say, like, I have Omdir that I I can accomplish this, right? Mm. So that's where he kind of begins, right? He's the man with the plan uh, at the beginning. Um, That's going to fall apart. Um, Right. Like begin to question and then 
drop off a cliff in the last couple episodes during the near night. Not just at the end of the, not just in the fence of Sarek, right? Yeah. But from, no, the death of Fingon is part of that too. Yeah. Well, from the charge Fing- of Fingon, right? Yeah. Um, the yeah. whole, well, yeah, the whole battle not going according to plan. Exactly. And then losing and all these right. people dying. Yep. Yeah. From the beginning of the and battle. it's all his fault. Yeah. From the opening stages of the battle, through the death of Fingon and down into the fence of Sarek, his Omdir is uh, taking hit after hit, right? Yeah. Um, but that's been... But it's already taken a major hit from Lilith's death as well. Mm. So, again, that 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 is really... Lilith's death really is shaping out to become the turning point, right? For him almost entirely. It's the turning point of his relationship with Morrowind, and also it can be the kind of initial turning point of his, the first time he really questions his Omdir um, mm. and mm-hmm. has to, on, in some way, begin relying on Estelle as well, or at least to, like, see it even for the first time. Right. Yeah, because we can't have him be like, I'm Omdir guy the whole season until the very last minute when I'm like, oh no, now I've got to be Estelle because we lost. Like, we, we do have to see him growing into that role and I yeah. think I think we can do it that way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's Whereas Hoor's arc is more about where do I find my role in this because he can be kind of like going with the flow right mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. he goes he may be kind of reticent to leave gondolin yes but he goes with his his brother and their cousin and he goes along with the with the fight against morgoth because you have to fight you have to fight the bad guys um, man i can see why tolkien put in so many threes threes like this are awesome Right? Yeah, like you've got yeah. the you've got the two guys who want to leave, but for totally different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. In Handir and and Hurin, the two the stories that we had there, and the one guy who wants to stay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but will leave because the others are leaving too, and he doesn't want to abandon his brother. He knows right. it would be an, uh, uh, an abdication of his own role and responsibility. If right, he, were to he stay. has a duty to his people. He does have a duty. Yeah. But he doesn't want to go, right? He's the only right. one of the three right. who doesn't want to go, <laughs> right. right? So anyway, that that I, I mean, feel like someone could really make a life for themselves here. You know, <laughs> that would be great. You know, some I, I'm not saying me, but some other human could really <laughs> settle down and make something of themselves here. Yeah, um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, so I, I, it's just it's so cool, like that. Yeah. You can do things with pairings, right? Yeah, um, but threes are just—it's so much richer to have, yeah. you know, sets of three like this. That's how you can get people outvoted. You can't outvote anybody if it's a if it's two people, <laughs> right? If you just have two, and also with two with pairs, there's always the temptation just to make them opposites, right? right. Like one one says yes, but the other says no, and instead right. with a when when you've got three, then you've got a much more nuanced situation. It's not just two say yes and one say no. It's it's. Um, it's yeah. it's yeah. One of the challenges with Huor is that yeah, if we weren't careful, he was just going to be the guy who has the other opinion in the room. Yeah, right. He was just going to be not a character, even just person who voices things that need to be voiced. Yeah, um, person that Hurin is talking to. Right, yeah. right. So like that would be the worst thing we could do with him, yeah. I think. And, and now Handir is going to be 
the lieutenant that we use in order to have those conversations, whereas where it gets his actual own perspective that, yeah. that matters. And, and then with a Tolkien story, it's like, okay, we have these two brothers and they're different. It's like, okay, so they're Boromir and Faramir. <laughs> right. 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 Like that, that's what you would do with right. it. And, and which, we in, did... which is still kind of that. I mean, yeah. I mean, Faramir is the wizard's pupil who likes yeah. history and such. And now who are is the contemplative younger brother. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not identical, but it's certainly But it's not parallels. identical. They're, they're and that's, it, there has to be a reason for it, something we're doing with it, yeah. and so that it doesn't just fall into default. Well, that's what we've got. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm loving the Hondir thing. I think that that's, that's it's, it's nice. And it, it does give somebody to be in that place of like fellow commander even just to leave Hurin not again he's never going to be alone he'll always have Huor with him mm. but again in that sense in which Huor doesn't count like he's instead of having like and now here's the leaders of all of the armies and it's Hurin and a whole bunch of elves right Handir also would be an independent commander there leading a, a force yeah. of humans and so having that other voice there um I, I, I think that that's good in a lot of ways. Um, It'll be but, helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, little side note, Adola was just pointing out something very sensible, which may have come up on the discussion boards and stuff, that, uh, of course, if there's one character that Anayo needs to connect with during this season, it's Rian. In order to explain well, why Rian goes to him. I, I, I have a thought about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we can anyway. But I just that that seems to me perfectly sensible that that mm. that, that needs to be because, um, yeah. Why why would that happen? Right. But anyway, right. Yeah. Something something has to lead to that. Yeah, something has to lead mm. to that. Like there's there, there's clearly a backstory as to why you leave your baby with him. Um, but um, okay. Anyway, yeah. We we can we'll we'll, we'll do um minor character uh, wrap-up storyline <clears throat> thing, and Anil is obviously a candidate for that episode. Um, but um, but good, I'm feeling good about Hurin's progression here. Um, mm. And I'm loving the Hondir thing. I'm loving the Hur um, uh, thing. And by the way, I think that Hur should be like phenomenal in battle. I yeah. think yeah. I mean he think I Huar should be um like He's the, a warrior poet. Yeah. Warrior poet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's um Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Like tall, dark, handsome, studly, but like yeah. sensitive and poetic. No wonder Rihanna's just like can't yeah. get over it, right? Um, and Hurin should be cast like the way that Wolverine should have been cast. <laughs> oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Now I see just what you mean. <laughs> I don't have any personal feelings about this in <laughs> I any can way. Tell. I can tell. It doesn't sound like an invitation to a rant at all. No. Um, yeah. Even a little bit. <laughs> Anyway, we'll talk about the castings. The casting, there'll be some sure. serious casting considerations, obviously. Um, 
I don't care who it is. That you know, right. That's... Right. Okay. Um, great. So we're uh, we're definitely putting Hugh Jackman on there. Just to <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So we 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 know whom to nominate then. So it's yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. Excellent. So next time, um, we're going to be basically looking at. Well, not just the elf side of the story, but we're going to be looking at the larger elf, uh, you know, the whole, the, the primary union of Mithros storyline. So let's, we'll be thinking about this from the Feanorian, Mithros and the Feanorian's perspective. We'll be thinking about this from Fingon's perspective. We'll be developing more Turgon's perspective and his decision making there. Um, uh, and indirectly, we're not going to have another session where we talk about the Easterlings because we we did that pretty thoroughly, that storyline pretty thoroughly. Um, I mean, goodness, we almost outlined that sucker when we got to the end of that. Like that was pretty thorough. So, um, but but certainly we can we can kind of fold that in to some extent in thinking about how the Union of Mithros is going to move forward. Um, and then after the Union of Mithros, then we'll do our miscellaneous minor characters and what's happening in other regions during this time that we usually do even if it doesn't make it much into the episodes and then we'll be ready to start thinking through um, you know outline for the season right probably after that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. assuming we actually get through all those things in the episodes that we the sessions we have set aside for them good awesome feeling good about who are in that was fun uh, looking forward to thinking through, especially uh, Mithros and Fingon uh, here for the uh, for the uh, for the for the elves here as we plan the union. All right, thank you guys. That was a fun discussion. Appreciate the uh, uh, comments from the uh, viewers here tonight. Um, some really uh, some really really good and suggestive ideas. And I will, and we'll be back uh, in two weeks on the thirtieth of November as we continue to live our charmed film film life, where we've uh, yet to miss a week in season seven. So there we go. All right, thanks everybody. Of course, now we're coming up to the holidays, so that's likely to end, but that's okay. <laughs> that's a normal plan yeah. thing. All right, thanks everybody. I'll say as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.